Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1845. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today, I'm just a couple hours south of Gig Harbor in Portland, Oregon, with a very special guest by the name of Michael Weitzel. Michael, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Oh, I am ready. All right. We're going to have some fun. Now, before I give you a proper introduction, and we're going to be driving down memory road here with Michael and very interesting story about an old car from his family. Would you tell us one little thing that maybe most people don't know about you? I have graduated from the University of Oregon with a degree in fine and applied arts. Okay. That's cool. And where did you want to take yourself with that? Although it seems like you had a bit of a detour. I think I wanted to rebel more than anything. <laughs> As we all do in college. Oh, yes. And I went to a, a, a private college prep high school, and there was a lot of expectations on all of us. So I felt the need to uh, go off in my own direction for a while. Well, cool. You know, one of my majors in college was graphic design advertising and ended up going into that field for a long time. Actually, had a lot of fun with it. My son went to uh, Rhode Island School of Design uh, after getting accepted to many, many colleges. And I, I kind of went, wait a minute, what, what, why do you want to go there? You're looking at all these business schools and tech schools and stuff. And he goes, I don't know. It just seems like it'd be interesting. And I'm like, Okay. And I'll tell you, in hindsight, best thing ever. It was just a really wonderful experience for him. And uh, he ended up getting recruited out of that school and has had a great career ever since. But I always kind of went, I at one point I said, why would you want to go to art school? And he goes, well, you did, dad. And I went, oh, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> so, yeah, kids can do that to you. Yeah, yeah, they they set you straight pretty quick, especially when they're when they're smart kids, uh, which is what you're supposed to raise. But uh, well, very cool. Well, maybe we'll see in our talk today how this integrates into your very creative life you have now. Let me give you a proper introduction, Michael. Michael Whitesell is a native Oregonian whose lifelong passion for all things on wheels has enriched his life. He channeled his entrepreneurial genetic code with his avocation, mountain biking, and co-founded the innovative and spacious year-round haven for kids and adults, the Lumberyard Indoor Bike Park in rainy Portland, Oregon. Sounds like a really fun place. When not on two wheels, he enjoys maintaining and driving his eclectic collection of vintage vehicles, including a very special 100-year-old treasure he inherited from his great-grandfather. It's a rare 1919 Cunningham, a car that was on the lawn at Pebble Beach back in 2000. I saw that car. His newly launched website titled oldcarjourney.com documents this vehicle as he returns the car to roadworthy condition where it belongs. We're going to learn more about Michael and his life and this particular car, but first a word from our valued sponsors. So give them a listen. Keep your seatbelts on. We're going back in time today. We'll have some fun. We'll be right back. Are you ready to get out and hit the road? Boy, I sure am. This country has so much to offer, and what better way than to get out and drive? Covercraft protects the things that move you. From protective covers for the outside of your vehicles to the inside with dash covers, seat covers, and sunscreens, all creatively designed to keep your vehicle cool for those roadside stops for a meal or to take in the view. 
Covercraft custom tailors their designs for your special vehicles and manufacturers with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Road trips can be hard on your vehicle services, so protect them. And when you get home, cleanup is fast and easy. And you want to get a deal? Well, I've got one just for you. Use the code YA21 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off compliments of cars, yeah. Simply use the code YEAH21, yeah, 21, at checkout. I've been protecting my vehicles with Covercraft covers since 1975. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Go to Covercraft.com today. I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day and he asked me about American Collectors Insurance. He said, while I listen to you on Cars Yeah, you're always talking about agreed value collector car insurance. Well, I insure all my cars on my regular auto insurance policy and I've done it for years. Why use a different company for my collector cars? I get a multi-car discount. Isn't that good enough? I suggested he call his carrier and ask how much he would get if his collector car was totaled or stolen. He called back and said, boy, that was a scary conversation. Their value of my car wasn't even close to what it's really worth. Thank you for the education, Mark. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you receive with an agreed value policy. American Collectors Insurance has been protecting enthusiasts since 1976. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green's at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. They're the ones that insure my car. That's American Collectors Insurance. All right, Michael, so we're back. So I want to dive a little deeper into the corner, as I like to say, and and talk about this very special car in your life. But maybe you could go back and talk a little bit about your great-grandfather. Because as I understand, James Cunningham, uh, the company, was out of New York, and they were kind of a small firm, but they were known for luxurious formal cars and hearses, which is very interesting. So let's go back to your great-grandfather and then take that forward or bring that forward to, to what you're doing with this very special car today. So you take the wheel. Well, thank you. I wish I could say that I knew my great-grandfather personally. Uh, he's a very interesting man who basically embodies the American dream. He went and prospected in the North Idaho Coeur d'Alene district and struck it rich in a silver and lead mine at the turn of the century, Wow! nearly 120 years ago, along with a team of investors, including many of his family members. So he, he labored very hard and was a shrewd businessman because he had to fight the trusts from the railroads and the smelters, and they really managed as outsiders and independents to establish themselves as savvy businessmen. And uh, I think my grandfather calculated that his mine, the Hercules, provided dividends of over $40 million in its lifetime. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, an incredible story, and there's so much to that. I'm, there's no way we're going to cover it all today, but it really inspired me because I had been sitting on this car for quite some time, and I was fortunate enough to get to show it at Pebble Beach in 2000, but it, 
you know, I've had it in various museums, but I've struggled with what do I do with this thing? And then I had the inspiration to uh, get it back on the road and drive it and trace the history of the car. And I'm going to start down in Southern California where uh, my great-grandfather, Harry Day, retired. And he bought this car later in his career, about my age actually, in 1919 out of their sales office in San Francisco when my grandfather was attending the University of California at Berkeley. And he ended up buying a home in Santa Barbara and retiring there. So this car covered 130,000 miles over approximately 12, 13 years driving between Southern California and Northern Idaho. Holy cow. Now, wait a minute. That's incredible. When you think about a car of that age being driven that far, I mean, not only this gentleman was an incredible pioneer, brave to the bravest nth and willing to do anything to be successful, but to drive an old car like that that many miles is is absolutely mind-boggling. Well, and the roads were pretty horrible well, back then that, as yeah. well. Not to mention the roads. <laughs> what roads? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the air conditioning probably was uh, yeah. the windows down. <laughs> yeah. You think? So, you know, that's part of what inspired me. I reread that bit of history about the car more recently. And I was like, I was looking at my notes. I think I've covered uh, maybe a couple hundred miles in 25 years with the car. And at that point, I said, this has to change. And <laughs> with modern media and social media and other things going on, to get get the word out, I was like, well, I don't know how I'm going to pull this off. I don't know if I have the budget to do it, but it's got to be done. So I did the smart thing and planned it out a year from now. And I've already had several delays with the car trying to get the gas tank sorted, but I think I'm on track and my plan is to uh, start from Southern California sometime uh, next June. Oh, okay. And re recover the same journey? Is that your plan? Basically, but I want to do some pit stops along the way, tracing like visit maybe the Rose Bowl uh, where they attended games, uh, go by the University of California, maybe visit some museums, visit the coast, go to some of the old mining towns where uh, my great-grandfather's father had visited uh, along his journey uh, as a basically a, a mining camp supplier and storekeep. And then make my way up to Portland where there's some connections to an old hotel that was eventually torn down that the family had invested in, uh, the old Portland Hotel. And that was unfortunately torn down in the 40s to make way for a parking garage. And then there's some historic stops along uh, the way in Spokane and in northern Idaho and then eventually ending up in Wallace, Idaho for some celebrations there. Wow. What an amazing thing to do. And you've created the oldcarjourney.com website, which is documenting all of this, or will document it, but it is also a place to go to learn more about the vehicle? Yeah, yeah. And I put some specifications on the vehicle there because it really is unique in its own right. Uh, a a storyline or a timeline sort of marking some of the significant pieces along the way of the car, of cars in general, of my great-grandfather's family, of the mining business, 
things like that. Then I sort of put out an estimated route because I'm sure that will change. And then a scrapbook of a whole bunch of photos and other reference documents on the car. So all of that, and I just launched that. So it's a work in progress, but I think it's it's a great start. And I've just purchased some camera equipment and I've started practice recording myself in yeah, the car. Yeah. And uh, I plan to record as much along the way, whether I make the journey or whether or not there's uh, some interesting events along the way, whether those are breakdowns or just uh, you know, gorgeous sights along the route, <laughs> well, and then yeah. and then hopefully relay the story along the way if there's not too much noise in the cabin. You know, this is really fun, and what a great time for you to be living in to be able to do this in a relatively easy and, in a sense, a free way, and that is through, say, YouTube, your website, because so many people have created YouTube pages, and I follow some, and they've created their own little mini TV series, if you will, by just documenting their life and their journeys and what they're doing. And they've been done so well. I follow, my listeners know this, I follow a young couple out of Australia called Sailing La Vagabond that uh, just started sailing around the world and documenting it with a weekly YouTube. Uh, now they've since had one baby. The young woman just had her second baby, all doing living on a, on a boat, traveling the world. They've survived through COVID. I mean, just incredible. So you're living in this wonderful time to be able to document this and to do it based on a family member and this vehicle that's been in the family. You've got a winner in so many ways here. Now it's just yours to lose, as they say, when you start a race. Uh, and that's just learning how to do your craft. But you know what? People are forgiving when it comes to this stuff these days. Uh, you just got to start doing it. And it will evolve and it will improve and it will be fun. And I think you've got a winner here. Tell our listeners a little bit more of what you know about James Cunningham Company out of New York and the people that built this car, right? Because I don't know a lot about these cars. I did a little bit of research before, but I mentioned luxurious formal cars and hearses, which is interesting. Uh, so what do you know about James Cunningham? They are a manufacturer, I should say they were a manufacturer of high-end, high-quality hand-built vehicles. And they were building carriages, including hearses and ambulances, long before the invention of the internal combustion engine. Mm. And when that came along, uh, they, of course, saw the opportunity and started building automobiles. At first, they were contracting out the motors, and then they started building their own motors in the mid-teens. And uh, this car that I have is considered an inside-drive limousine. It's the longer version, so it has uh, the seat across the back and some occasional seats, and then a separate driving quarter. And it has a 90-degree V8 engine. And this car, when new in 19... I think he picked it up in January of 1920, I have a copy of the original check, which was over $7,700. Ooh, a lot of money back then. Yeah, and I, I've heard it referred to as the American Rolls-Royce, but I think in, even at the time, a Rolls-Royce could be had for less money than that. Really? So this, wow. This was uh, a car for discriminating buyers who wanted something that was of the best quality, but reliable and, uh, and not ostentatious as as much as it could be at the time. Obviously, this was before the classic era, so this was very much a utilitarian vehicle, but also elegant in every way. 
Now, how many of these vehicles still exist that, that you know of? They're in the hundreds at best. Mm-hmm. And of this particular model, maybe five or ten. Um, and there are numbers here, and I've got some references on my website. So uh, I may be horribly misquoting, but it's it's very few. Uh, I believe the Nethercut Museum has one or two, and even Jay Leno owns one of these cars. Of course, uh, Jay's got one of everything, yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to have his budget. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I always loved his quote. I buy cars that are 50-point cars, restore them to 100 points, and drive them down to 50. Uh, <laughs> you know, bless him for what he does for the car industry because uh, uh, it's just absolutely fantastic, and I love the fact that he knows so much, and he drives them, and he shares them with people, which is even more important, which is what you're going to be doing. You know, I, something just came to mind, uh, and that is on this journey that you create maybe people ride along with you part of this way meet me in this town and i'll take you you know 50 miles down the road and you contribute a little bit to the journey i'm just kind of thinking from a marketing and a money raising standpoint yes to help pay for the gas or something a a wonderful idea and that's that's the kind of thing i'm going to be building on over this year is figuring out great places to visit hopefully meeting car enthusiasts along the way having meetups I spent way too many years treating this car as uh, precious, mm-hmm. and I really want to drive it and use it and expose it to the world because the car is a wonderful thing to share, and so is the story. So then yeah. it becomes, you know, uh, pun intended, a vehicle to tell the story of its owner and its history. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely wonderful. And I asked my guests uh, on Cars Yeah here about driving inspirations, key mentors, and so forth. No doubt your great great your great grandfather was just that to you because he has inspired you through his rich life and his uh, uh, his passion for adventure. And go, I mean, imagine back in that day coming out to the West Coast or Idaho and doing what he did. And then, like you said, battling the railroad barons who seemed to own everything back then and everyone trying to take everything from you, the rich legacy that he is. So would he be the driving in for, uh, driving inspiration for this adventure that you're embarking on? Certainly. The uh, entrepreneurial spirit is strong in him, and I much admire that. Yeah. And even my grandfather, who uh, who I did know and who passed away when I was just 17 years old, um, I, I was fortunate enough to be around to join him in a centennial parade in the town of Wallace in this Cunningham wow. back in 1975. That was a joy. He he commissioned its full restoration in 1974. So when he passed away, I pleaded with my mother not to sell the car. I already recognized its significance as a teenager, and uh, I I promised my mother I would take care of the car, whatever it took, mm-hmm. and uh, and I did. And I found storage for it, insurance, and and uh, you know about eight or nine years later, she she. Uh, generously signed the title over to me, even though I have five other siblings to compete with, in in essence. Mm -hmm. But I'd also say that my mother is a significant inspiration for me. You know, she she was a woman who raised six kids uh, as a divorced mother in the 70s. And uh, her commitment to hard work and integrity uh, is another inspiration for me. Oh, no doubt. What what I like to call a very powerful mama bear. Yeah. Incredible. Hey, real briefly, I'd love to touch a little bit on this very 
different track you took in your career, the Lumberyard Indoor Bike Park. Can you tell us just a little bit more about where this idea came from, what it is, and uh, why, if we're in that area, we should go visit? Well, I started mountain biking while in college, and it's been a lifelong passion for me. And it kind of crosses over to my enthusiasm for cars because it's a way to have a lot of fun and in, in this case, stay somewhat fit. You know, mm-hmm. we want to live as long as possible. Yep. <laughs> and I had come off of a bad experience work-wise and was reevaluating what was next. And uh, while volunteering for some uh, trail building activities, I ran into a, a fellow who told me about this indoor bike park concept. And I was highly skeptical. But because I had nothing going on, I offered to help him reevaluate his business plan, which is part of my background in schooling was an MBA here at Portland State University. So he showed me his business plan and I had to chuckle because uh, it needed lots of work and we endeavored to work together. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, here we are. And part of our inspiration was helping kids get on bikes and grow their confidence in riding. And we have achieve that in spades. Especially this summer, we have summer camps, five-day-long summer camps, and we've sold out every spot with waiting lists. So first time in our entire history that we've done that, and I think uh, parents are ready for a break from their kids after all of this hybrid <laughs> learning for the Well, and kids a year. break from the parents too, you know, to, to get out and exercise and enjoy things. And the fact that you live in a rainy part of the country like I do, when we moved here 27 years ago, I was really nervous because I grew up in Southern California where I spent all my youth on the beach surfing and the ocean and you know year round and it was wonderful and I thought how are my kids going to have any fun living somewhere where it rains six months out of the year and many friends that we made up here said you just go do stuff don't let it stop you have picnics in the rain really picnics in the rain and we did that's what yes we did we did it all throughout our childhood and uh it just doesn't stop us there's a certain uh certain toughness that you get from it as well Absolutely. Let's take a short break. We come back. I want to talk about a challenge that you've had with this vehicle. No doubt you've had a few. Any of us who've played with old cars, especially one that old, uh, no doubt there's a few challenges to face. So sit tight, keep the seatbelts on, and we'll be right back. What began as a charitable car show has grown into the world's greatest collector car auctions, raising over $133 million for charitable organizations to date. For nearly 50 years, automotive enthusiasts from all over the world have enjoyed the Barrett-Jackson Collector Car Auctions, and I'm a huge fan. Regarded as the barometer of the collector car industry, their auctions are world-class lifestyle events, where thousands of the world's most sought-after unique and valuable automobiles cross the block in front of a global audience, in person, on TV, or streamed online. Barrett Jackson produces the world's greatest collector car auctions in Scottsdale, Arizona, Palm Beach, Florida, Las Vegas, Nevada, and new for 2021, Houston, Texas. The excitement of Barrett Jackson auctions is contagious and a unique experience is not to be missed. And coming soon, something new for you Cars Yeah listeners. I'll be teaming up with Craig Jackson on the first ever Barrett Jackson podcast coming to your mobile devices every week. Listen here on Cars Yeah and check out the Barrett-Jackson website for unique details 
on this new exciting podcast that I'm very proud to be a part of. And be sure to visit BarrettJackson.com today. Barrett Jackson, the world's greatest collector car auctions. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe, and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. So, Michael, we're back. So let's talk a little bit about the challenges one incurs when you're taking a vehicle of this historic significance, this age, and trying to make it roadworthy again, keep it on the road. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind are just parts. I mean, how do you, how do you get parts? Sometimes you have to have them made. So can you talk a little bit about the challenges, maybe one or two key ones you face with this vehicle? Numerous challenges. <laughs> and I think as anybody who's worked on an old car or driven an old car knows that uh, it has its own time frame for when things get fixed and when you uh, hope to arrive somewhere. <laughs> I so like I the, latter, find, the latter comment, when you hope to arrive. Yeah, I've learned the hard way, but I have learned. And uh, when I prepared the car for Pebble Beach in 2000, uh, I had a lot of help. But I also did a lot of running around to uh, figure out what to do about parts. Uh, a window handle is a great example. The ones at the time this car was built, they were made of pot metal. Oh. And they tend to snap off over time. And uh, there was no such thing as uh, 3D printers back in 2000. So what we had to do is make a sand cast of this rotating handle and cast a new one. Wow. Same thing with the headlight cover out of glass. It had this very interesting little dimpled half globes all over the cover or the face of this glass. And there's just no way to reproduce that in glass. So I had one made of plastic. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't told you, you probably would never have noticed. By the way, don't tell the judges if I ever show this car no, again. No, no. They're, 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 <laughs> they're busy. They're not listening today. So don't worry about that. And so now jump forward to today. The biggest challenge has been the fuel tank, which uh, there's a process called retinning, which basically you strip everything down and do a coat of tin around the inside. And then that seals it up and prepares it for another 10 or 20 years of use. And uh, I got all of this done. It took, you know, months and months. And then I figured, okay, I'm ready to take this car in and have uh, the fuel system gone over. And day one, they put fuel in it and it's leaking. Oh, okay. So the, the, what I'm learning now is that it's okay to get help, but I need to go through and validate that everything was done to the level it needs to be done before I take the next step. And uh, so I pulled the tank off, 
took it back. They weren't confident they could fix it right. There's a This was a two-part tank, and it had a seam in the middle. So I took it to another place, and they attempted to repair it. It still wasn't – it was still leaking. I ordered – I sort of jury-rigged this thing to try to put pressure in the tank so I could isolate where, where the leaks were coming from. I did an okay job of that, and then I finally found this other process – using product that could seal the inside of the tank one step further than the retinning process. So that's where I'm at. I've taken the tank back. I haven't gotten word whether or not it's leaking yet. But this, you know, I was hoping to be making progress on the fuel system three months ago. And here I am at basically step one. And uh, so, and then, you know, then there's budgetary considerations. If it's still not working... The next step is to have a custom-built tank to the you know, cost of, I don't know, $5,000. Putting it in perspective, when my grandfather restored this car in 74, 75, his total expenditure was $22,000. <laughs> Money was different. Let's talk about inflation, eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Think of just the billing rate, I think, was $9 an hour. An hour, yeah. I, yeah. Just, you know, when you try to explain inflation, say, to your children, you can just say, well, let me, let me tell you what it cost mom to buy a week's worth of groceries when I was a kid in 1967 versus today you walk out of Costco with a $350 bill and you look at a couple boxes and go, where where did that money go? (laughs) What, What happened? So that helps put it in perspective. So it sounds like to me... The key word when it comes to old cars is patience. Oh my God, yes. And I am not a patient guy <laughs> by nature, but I'm persistent. And yeah. uh, so, so you have to be with an old car. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stubborn and persistent. When I decide I want to accomplish something, it's going to happen. Yeah. And you can count on it. So I will be driving down the road a year from now. How far I make it, it's, you know, that's not up to me, but I will endeavor to persevere. Well, that's all you can do. I remember uh, my son and I flew to Long Beach and picked up a, a little Beck Spider that John Wilhoyt had built. And the car cool. had been, yeah, a great fun car. Your 550 Spiders, I've always loved, but they've always been very expensive. And and we were getting ready to leave. Here we are in a car with no top, no air, no radio, about to go 1,500 miles back up the coast with my eight-year-old son. And John, oh, John Wilhoyt looks at me and he goes, I can't believe you're doing this. He goes, this car really, he built it for someone else who never drove it. He goes, this car really hasn't driven more than a couple hundred miles. And I said, well, you checked it out before I got here. I've got an extra belt and cell phone and what else do I need? And he said, a good attitude. <laughs> ah, that's so true. Yeah. And it's funny, my son is eight now, so oh, perfect. I'm hoping he'll join me for summer all yes. of the trip oh. next year. I'll tell you something. It'll be something my son to this day, my son's 27 now, still talks about it. He still is angry that I sold that car. He, he always oh. says that was his car, but uh, it went to pay for some for a year of college. So there you go. But uh, I said, well, you can figure out where it is and buy it back then now that you've got a decent yeah, career. He'll have his own bucket list. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of bucket list, nice segue into my next question. When you think about this magnificent journey you're planning, if you could isolate one thing you want to accomplish out of this, what would it be? I want to start it. Really? <laughs> I and thought you were going to say, I want to, I want to be able to accomplish it. I want to get there. <laughs> well, and in a way I've already started it. Yeah. And when it occurred to me, that instant, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it just had to happen. And so I would 
love for the car to make the journey, obviously, but I can't get so worked up about that and be focused on that. I really, I got to enjoy the ride. Yes. Yeah. And um, it will be an adventure and I'm not sure which adventure it will be. And I will have a very clear vision of how I want it to go. But uh, but it'll be different I, than that, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's why I want the camera rolling, because it, I, I'm looking forward to the people I meet along the way. Oh, that's going to be the best part. Uh, my son and I encountered very much of that because we didn't document our journey back then. We, You know, the cell phones didn't have video or anything. So one time we did run out of gas and we were in a place where there was no cell service. So we had to wait for someone to just come along and help us. And somebody finally did. Most people just waved and drove by. but. We finally had some help. But yeah, those those stories and those journeys and those experiences, we still laugh about today. And the mishaps will probably be the most memorable of all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they always are. Yeah, absolutely. They always, always are. Now, I always ask my guests about a special vehicle. Obviously, this is the one, the 1919 Cunningham, right? Oh, yeah. This yeah. this has been part of my life from, you know, I have a, a, a picture of me and my grandfather in 1974 when I was, what, eight years old. So nice. it's uh, it, it definitely memorable. Ah, uh, what but fun. it's not the only one in my life. I'm a very enthusiastic automobile owner. As we all have, our visions are much greater than our budgets. <laughs> Always. Yeah, what is that? That seems to be the case. Well, maybe real quickly, is there one other vehicle that you've either have, you either have or have had that's special to you? Well, I'll stick to something recent. I purchased a high-mileage Porsche Cayman S from 2010 out of Phoenix uh, a year ago, January. So my partner and I flew down to Phoenix. Uh, I purchased it sight unseen, but I did have a pre-purchase inspection. And we drove that over three days home to Portland Ooh, in nice. January, right before COVID hit. And boy, that thing has been a god godsend for me because what better activity to do in isolation than go out and enjoy <laughs> yeah. a drive. And uh, the irony of that, as the mishap memories go, is uh, the first morning drive home, we got a flat Mm. Uh, driving off the road, I got a nail and, uh, you know, in the modern cars, at least somewhat modern, this car, uh, had a flat repair kit that was rock solid. Yeah. They, they don't really work that well. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to replace them. And, uh, I didn't check that before hitting the road, but we, you know, we had an air compressor, so I just aired up every 20 minutes or so. And mm -hmm. an hour later we got to a tire shop, fixed it, and we were on our way. I tell you, I've, I've always carried, um, a tire repair kit and an air compressor in my vehicles and knock on wood, I've not had too many flats, but they've saved me numerous times because it's very easy to fix a roadside flat unless it's a serious, you know, side wall blowout or something like that. But yeah, yeah. A, a nail or a screw, you can just pull it out. You can put that plug in there, air up and get yourself to a tire store uh, and do fine versus a lot of, a lot of cars even don't have spares. I mean, I've, right. my cars, right. uh, one of my cars doesn't have a spare in it. I've run flats that I drive on, but uh, luckily, again, I haven't had to deal with that. But I love the Porsche Cayman. Uh, you know, ever since those cars came out and I've been able to drive some on the track, and I've, I've always thought that I'd love to have one. They kind of remind me of a Porsche 550 Spider in the way they look and the fact that the new 911s have gotten so big and, and kind of fat, yeah. kind of bulky. Yeah. Uh, those Caymans are really nice. So uh, very, very cool. I'm going to crawl into your head here, Michael. I'm going to be your psychologist, okay? 
All right, I'm ready. Okay, if you woke up tomorrow and you were manifest as a vehicle, this isn't what you want to be. This is your personality as a vehicle. What would you be, but more importantly, why? Oh, this one's easy for me. Okay. I would be a hot hatch. A hot hatch? Like yes. Like what? Like a GTI or? Yeah, Golf R. Okay, probably, yeah, there you go. You know, but there's some newer ones coming out that I've always got my eye on. And they're just incredibly practical, but they have a little wild streak in them. <laughs> you know, I love that. My first new car was a uh, Volkswagen car, um, not a Carmagee. I had a Carmagee and sold it to buy my first new car, which was a Scirocco, first gen Scirocco. Oh, nice. A hatchback, kind of a hot rod Volkswagen. I, they didn't go very fast, but felt fast to me compared to my my little Carmagee. And I love that car. It was really fun and, uh, you know, did all the mods to it because I was in college when I got it. But uh, I've always loved the hatchbacks, the, the Golf R's, the GTI's. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just just fun little cars. And if you think about like even up to the Fast and Furious cars and those all kind of hatchback type vehicles, little sports cars for people. Uh, and there's so many options there. So nice answer. Yeah. Nice answer. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, and they're kind of sleepers too, which, yes. uh, you know, yeah. I... I'm not one to go around strutting my stuff, so uh, I just I just like to get away from the, the noise and enjoy a, an enthusiastic drive in the mountains. Yeah, well, and doing it in that Cayman, holy cow! Yeah, that's the way my, to do my, it. My son always says, "Are we going to take the long way this time?" The when long we way. Nice. Head up to the cabin and. We always do. Nice. Ah, great memories you're building there with your son. Is there a book that you've read recently or maybe in the past that you think our listeners would find really valuable? Well, I have two okay. that come to mind. One is actually I read in college that I thought was more related to motoring and being okay with old cars, and that is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Yes, yeah, great uh, psychology, I guess, philosophical type book. Yeah, and it was an inspiration to me, you know, and as when you're in college, you're really searching for meaning and for purpose, and it was really a great book for me at the time. And then another book that's more related to the history of my family in North Idaho. Uh, it's called The Big Burn. And I read that last summer. And it's about a massive forest fire that that went through northern Idaho and Montana in the 1910s and decimated the communities there. And also really lifted up the beginnings of the Forest Service. And there were some heroes that really helped people and saved people from the fire. And uh, I spent all my summers up there, and this really brought all of my experiences together from the beautiful countryside and the history of the mining and the people there that helped populate and grow the communities. Yeah, a nice way to get back with some roots uh, in your family. Obviously, the Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, my son bought me that. I had no idea what I was about to read, and <laughs> as I started reading it, and it was by, of course, Robert Persig, and I started mm-hmm. reading it, and I went, what is going on here? This isn't what I thought it was going to be about, and I had to restart it. And read it again because it. I, I was like, "What is what is this all about?" And as my son said, he's a such an avid reader. Take your time with this one, Dad. Uh, but the big burn, I think that's cool. Timothy Egan is the yes. Uh, 
the author there. Yeah, incredible. And you think about these people that go out and fight these forest fires. My hat's off to all of them. Any firefighter, first responder, incredible people, incredibly brave people. But to go out in a forest and do this, holy cow, incredible. Just absolutely incredible. It's just it's amazing. Two great books you've uh, shared with us. We're going to take one more short break and we come back. We're going to go. I think we've already been there on the ultimate drive. So sit tight. We'll be right back. Have you looked under your hood recently? The average car today has more than 70 computers and 100 million lines of code. Today and tomorrow, being a professional technician requires an understanding of technology, computers, and electrical systems that are highly advanced and very complex. Cars yeah, is honored to support TechForce Foundation as our charity of choice. Their efforts to help young people pursue a technical education and a fulfilling career as automotive techs is the key to an inspired life. Through scholarships, grants, and good old-fashioned hands-on experiences with vehicles, TechForce and Carja are working together to connect young people with viable careers. Join us and learn more by visiting techforce.org today. All right, we're back. Well, it seems like this is a bit of a redundant question because I, I asked my guests if I could arrange for them to go on the ultimate drive, the magical drive, they get to pick any vehicle, any person that they're with, and what would they be doing, who'd be driving, and so forth. I think we've kind of been there, but I don't know, you may you may surprise us a little bit. So if you could magically recreate your ultimate drive or create your ultimate drive, what would it be for you? Well, I think I have to build on our project and invite my great grandfather to join us for a leg of the trip. That would be incredible. Yeah. But if my son was to choose what car we were driving, he would definitely choose the Porsche 911 GT3 RS. (laughs) And then we would talk about where we're going next. Uh, Yeah. If you could hear over the roar of that engine. Yeah. That's well, he's got good taste. I think you've spoiled him a little bit in his taste for cars. Now, nice choice. What's your son's name? Oscar. Nice. Oh, great name. Nice choice, Oscar. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Destined for a great life with a name like that. Very, very cool. Well, you have taken us on a wonderful journey. I want to encourage the listeners to follow along with this uh, magnificent journey. No doubt the website oldcarjourney.com will evolve and grow and change. And we can't wait to uh, to see where this journey takes you. And hopefully some of you listeners will be along the route. You can stop and say hello. Who knows? Maybe you might get a ride in the car. I think that would be pretty, pretty cool. Before I let you go, could you maybe share a parting word of wisdom, guidance, a mantra, something, something that stands out for you? Sure. In general, don't put things off too far. I am so excited about this project that I'm doing it and not waiting. Oh, I got to wait until my business affairs are in order or I retire or this or that. Do it now. And also, you know, make room for joy every day, you know, as, as stressed out and intense I can get in the workplace. I try to leave room for that joy, you know, whether it's riding my bike out in the forest or doing a little bit of gardening or whatever it is, driving, (laughs) always driving. Make sure you're doing it. You know, it's so important and it's cliche. I've this year alone, we're all you know, we're halfway through the year and I've lost 
four past guests here this year alone on Cars. Yeah, I just found out a rather young person, uh, Craig Morrison, just passed away last weekend, sadly. Young man with a 12-year-old son. And uh, not to be a, a downer here after a wonderful talk, but it's so important to do the things you love, and especially after 15-plus months of COVID pandemic, and we've seen the tragedy that's unleashed on the world. Uh, get out and do what you want to do as soon as you can, because no tomorrow is ever promised to us. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Do it now and make room for joy in every day. What a nice thought you're leaving us with. How, again, can people keep up with you and follow along with what you're doing here? Visit oldcarjourney.com and there is a contact form you can fill out. Uh, I will be adding YouTube and other content as time goes on, evolving the site and firming up my plans over the next year. Would love to have you visit along the way or reach out if you have ideas for visit or stops for me. Excellent. I'll put a link to that on Michael's show notes page. I'll also put a link to his business, lumberyardmtb.com for mountain biking. If you're in that area, you have kids, you want to unleash for some fun, there's a great place to send them. And I want to do a big shout out. Thank you to my good friend, Diane Brandon, our mutual friend for introducing yes. me to Michael. Diane was the first female guest here on Cars Yeah, very early guest. And I've since had, I think over 300 now women, uh, inspiring automotive enthusiasts who are women on the show. So Diane, thank you for all the great things you do for me. I really appreciate it. And Michael, thank you for spending some time with us today, sharing this amazing journey that you're on and you're going to be going on. I can't wait to follow along with you until you and I talk again, my friend. I'll see you down the road. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. This was great. Did you know that Cars Yeah! is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership, according to Libsyn, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States? That's right. And Cars Yeah! is the only five-day-a-week automotive-focused podcast for you to get your message into the ears of thousands of listeners daily from all over the world. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah! is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars Yeah! has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars Yeah! every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique in very personal way, well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyad.com or through the website at carsyad.com today to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to carsyad.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!